Well, if you were here last week, you know that we started by uh, dissecting some theology of rock and roll Hall of Famer Paul Simon. Uh, this week, we're going to turn to fellow rock and roll Hall of Famer Billy Joel, another favorite of mine who is now considered classic rock instead of modern day rock. But it was 40 years ago this year that Billy Joel released a song in his voice, bemoaned the fact that. Admit it, it was hard for you not to sing along, right? So if back in 1978, Billy Joel was bemoaning the fact that honesty is hardly ever heard and can't find people telling the truth, then I'm afraid that today, 40 years later, honesty is almost extinct. That it's something we are in dire need of. Because you listen to the world around us, you look at what's going on, and you, and you see all the lies and the deceit and the half-truths that we have come accustomed to in business and in politics and in our social media and even in our own lives and interactions with friends and family. These half-truths and lies are common. Honesty is rare. So this morning, part four of our Inside Out series, we're, we're going to reset our passion for and our commitment to honesty and truth-telling. Right? Remember these foundational cores that God calls us to develop in our own lives and in our hearts and in our minds at the core of who we are so that we then live them out in our daily actions and decisions. So far, we've looked at unity. We looked at honor. We looked at compassion last week. This week, the core value of honesty. We're going to talk this morning about the power of our words, the power to hurt, and the power to heal and transform. God, God himself recognized the value of our words and the power of our words. He recognized the damage that they could do, the power to hurt, in our words. That's why he made, he made telling the truth one of the Ten Commandments, one of the big ten, right? You shall not bear false witness. You shall not lie. You shall speak the truth. Because he knew that honesty is an inescapable life value and priority that we need to have at our core when it comes to truly loving God and truly loving the people around us. He also knew that that honesty was at the very foundation of any society. Any place where, where we as human beings choose to organize and live together in community, honesty and truth telling needs to be at the core. That's why all the way back during the time of the Roman Empire, back when Jesus was physically walking this earth 2,000 years ago, the Romans were the first people to put into practice, you know, the the requirement when you go to trial, when you go to court, that you raise your hand and swear, take an oath to tell the truth. Right? We still do that today. If you go to court as a witness, you raise your right hand and you swear to tell the truth. And if you don't tell the truth under oath, 
It's perjury. You can get thrown in prison for that. Now, the Romans 2,000 years ago didn't throw people in prison for that, for lying under oath. Instead, uh, we found histories where it says that, that if people lied under oath back in those days, they shall be hurled down from the Tarpeian Rock. The Tarpeian Rock was a huge cliff where the worst of the worst of criminals were pushed off to their death. That's pretty significant. If you lie under oath, it's worthy of the death penalty. It's a pretty big deal. You know, all through the Old Testament, you read God's rules of telling truth in society. In the Old Testament, it was, it was the elders who would sit at the city gates, right? And they were the judges for every city. You'd come to the elders at the city gate. It was a legal setting. You'd come and you'd bring them your, your disagreements about boundaries on your land with your neighbor, your disagreements about, about the damage that his ox did to yours and what rep, recompense should come. You'd come with your, your marriage disagreements or, or your, your neighborhood disagreements. You, you'd come with, with, any, with any charges to the city gates. And there are so many rules that God gave to, to that because in that era, with no DNA testing, with no surveillance cameras everywhere, with no way to track where you've been with your cell phone in your pocket, all that they could rely on was people telling the truth. And the value of the spoken word was huge. So huge that two people, two witnesses agreeing to one story was enough to either convict or not. In fact, those of you who have read the Old Testament, maybe you remember back to 1 Kings. Remember evil Queen Jezebel? Jezebel was queen of, of Israel, and, and she was not good. And she wanted her neighbor's land. She wanted uh, Naaman's land for herself. And so what did she do? Naaman went south. And so, and so she got two criminals. She pulled them in and said, here's the lie I want you both to tell. Both those guys went to the city gates, told the lie, and got Naboth and his sons all executed because of it so that Jezebel could go ahead and take his land. All it took was the witness of two, the word of two. That's ultimately what got Jesus crucified, right? They couldn't come up with any charges until two people told the same lie. That's what got him crucified. Right, the very foundation of justice depends on truthfulness. We witnessed this over the last week, haven't we? In our own political system. They're searching for truth. What is truth? Who is telling the truth? A lot rides on truth and honesty. So God requires us as his people. Remember Micah from last week? He requires us to do justly, to love mercy, to walk humbly with God. And he says, if you're going to do that, it demands that you highly value honesty, truth-telling. Okay, but that, that core value of honesty isn't just for the legal setting. is isn't just for the courts downtown. God demands that you and I tell the truth in our everyday living as well. It should be the standard that we live into in all of our lives. In fact, our Heidelberg Catechism addresses this. And it gives us this line. It says that in court and everywhere else, 
I should avoid lying and deceit of every kind, and I should love truth. I should love truth. God makes it clear that honesty matters, not just when you're standing before the judge and jury with your right hand raised. Honesty matters when you're talking with your friends at school. Honesty matters when you're the boss talking to your employee, when you're the employee talking to your boss, when you're the customer. Honesty matters parents talking to your children, children talking to your parents. Honesty matters when we're filling out our time card at work, and honesty matters when we're we're sending our taxes in in the spring. And honesty matters when you're taking a test at school. And honesty matters when you're trying to make excuses for why you dropped the ball and what you were supposed to do. And honesty matters when you're telling the story about how big that fish was that you caught. And it just keeps growing bigger all the time, doesn't it? Honesty is a core value of life. And the temptation to be dishonest is real. I think all of us can freely admit that here this morning. Because being dishonest doesn't always seem like that big of a deal. What does it matter how big the fish really was? What does it matter if I fudge the truth a little bit for mom and dad? Because they don't really want to know what I was doing anyways. What does it matter if I... If I... I'm a little dishonest about the product I bought that I broke, but I'd like to get it replaced. What does it hurt? The core value of honesty shrivels up inside of us in so many different forms of dishonesty. It it, it shrivels up when, when we twist someone's words to make those words say something that they never intended to say. And we make them look bad that way, right? In fact, Satan himself was the first one to introduce this kind of dishonesty to us. If you go back to Genesis chapter 3, when Satan meets Eve in the garden, you will read Satan taking the words of God himself that he spoke back in, in an earlier chapter, and Satan twists those words to say something just a little bit different, something that God didn't quite say in order to lure Eve into disobedience. And now Satan encourages you and I to do the same thing, to twist other people's words, right, to to make it fit our purpose, a little bit of selective hearing on our part, a change of a word here or there, and we can totally change what somebody meant and what they said and make their agenda fade away, and it fits our agenda now. And those lying words, that's what they are, Those dishonest, lying words can destroy friendships. They can destroy marriages. They can destroy relationships just by twisting their words. Right? That core value of honesty within us shrivels up a little bit when we choose to slander someone else, when we purposely use a lie to tear down somebody else's character, somebody else's person. It's a vicious, it's a hateful use of words that does great damage. And God hates it. He hates it enough that if you read through the New Testament where Peter and Paul in different chapters give lists of of behaviors and actions that, that God hates, lists of sins that we need to avoid, 
And both of those people, Paul and Peter, include slander in all of their lists. So read in 2 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 2. You'll find slander listed right there as one of the big ones. James goes on to talk about slander. He expands a little bit. Here's what, what James says. He says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When the words you speak slander someone else, when we use our dishonesty to speak bad of them, we are assassinating their character. Our words are deadly weapons. But that core value of honesty doesn't just shrivel up inside of us when we're the ones who invent the lies. It shrivels up inside of us when we choose to keep those lies alive and moving through the gossip that we choose to participate in. Somebody wants to find gossip as, as when we confess our neighbor's sin instead of our own. That's what gossip is, isn't it? We're confessing somebody else, telling stories about what they've done. And honestly, we can be really good at this as Christians. We know how. We know how to dress our gossip up in holiness, right? We call them prayer requests. I just want to share with you. When really inside, we really don't, we aren't sharing because we want to pray. If we really cared that much, we would be praying. If we really cared that much, we would be reaching out to that person in love, wrapping our arms around them, serving them, bringing them back. Instead, we call it prayer requests, but in honesty, we just want to talk. We just want to confess their sins for them. You know, when, you, when you're faced with gossip and that temptation, it's true temptation for all of us. A question I've learned to ask myself, some of you have heard me ask it before, is this my story to tell? Is it my story to tell? If it's not my story to tell, then maybe I shouldn't be telling it because it's somebody else's story. Is it my story to tell? And maybe if I don't know the truth of that story, maybe it's time for me to go find out the truth. Maybe it's time to go talk to that person, to come alongside of them, to find out what really is true. You know, that's a lot harder, isn't it? That's a lot more work. It's a lot easier just to pass whatever untruth along. So let's, let's be honest here this morning. If we're going to choose to live a life of honesty that God calls us to live, it's going to take some work on our part. It's going to take some intentional effort on your part and mine. It will take more effort and work to check the facts. It will take more effort and work to ask about sources. It will take more effort and work to reach out and contact the person involved in that rumor that you're hearing, that gossip that you're hearing, to find out the truth. It's going to take a lot more work to actually confirm the truth rather than just pass along the gossip. But the work is worth it because we are sinning 
when we choose to be lazy with our words, when we choose to be lazy with the truth, when we simply take in whatever we hear, whatever we read, and then we pass it along in our words or in our print or on our social media pages, without doing the work of discovering if it's true, if it's honest, without engaging our minds to discern truth from fiction, then we are accomplices in that crime, in that sin, in that dishonesty, and in that untruth. Then we are not doing justly or loving mercy. Because isn't justice what honesty is all about, this command towards truth-telling? Because lies deny justice, don't they? Just as our court system depends on honesty to distribute justice, so every part of our daily lives depend on honesty with each other. At home, at work, at school, at church. It's a core value for all those relationships, truth-telling is morally central to our personal and our public lives. It is central to the biblical prophetic tradition that we are called to imitate and we are called to live out. We are God's people called to speak the very words of God into our societies, into our culture, into our world, called to speak truth to power in the name of godly justice. That's exactly why God takes truth-telling so seriously and commands us to do the same thing. So, for the rest of our time together, let's realize the power, the power that we have in our tongue and with our words. Proverbs 18, 21 tells us about that power. Here's what it says. It says, the tongue has the power of life and death. Let that sink in for a moment. The tongue has the power of life and death. James speaks about that power. I'm going to read from James chapter 3, starting at verse 3. He's going to throw some images out there. Picture these images in your mind. Listen to what he has to say about our tongues and about our words. He says, When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by such a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. There's some pretty vivid imagery in there. There's some pretty powerful claims. James makes it clear that there is an immense amount of power in this little tiny muscle we have called the tongue. He leaves no doubt here that with our tongues, we are given the power to destroy. Our tongues are like the spark that sets a whole forest on fire, like that little drop of poison that is deadly. Our tongues have the power to destroy relationships around us, the power to destroy community. When we don't speak truth to our friends, friendships are destroyed. When we don't speak truth to our spouse, marriages are damaged profoundly. When we don't speak truth to our parents or speak truth to our children, family trust is broken. When we don't speak truth on the national level, trust among leaders and among citizens of a nation is destroyed. When we don't speak truth within the community of Ivanrest Church, the family of God is destroyed. Lying destroys trust among people. And when trust is destroyed, all you're left with is discord and division. Honesty is woven into the fabric of every single relationship that we have. And James tells us that our tongues hold the power to rip those relationships apart, to unravel the whole thing. Our tongues have the power to destroy community. They also have the power to destroy people. We've talked about that already. Our tongues can, can bring great damage to people around us. My guess is back in grade school, all of us learned the chant, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. That's a lie. And we all know that even as we say it on the playground. We know how deeply those words hurt. We know how they have destroyed us on the inside. So kids, be careful with your words. You have the power to destroy people with them. Adults, be careful with your words. You have the power to destroy people with them. And finally, thirdly, when we lie to ourselves, we begin to destroy our own lives. So often we build our own lives on a foundation of lies. And if we built our life on a foundation of lies, it will ultimately collapse. It will. When we live out religious forms, maybe going through the motions without any kind of honest relationship with God, then even our faith becomes a lie. And when we become captive to our own lies, lies we tell ourselves, lies like, I'm not good enough, or I don't matter, or I don't deserve to be loved, or I'm worthless, 
or a lie like, sure, God loves everyone else, but he doesn't love me. When we tell ourselves those lies, when we lie to ourselves, they start to control us. They start to shape our lives. They start to destroy us. That's why Jesus said that it's the truth that will set us free. Free from self-deception. Free from self-destruction that we're tempted to bring on to ourselves. There's great power in our tongues to destroy community, to destroy people, to destroy ourselves and our own self-worth and our own self-image. But our tongues also, they also have the great power to give life as well. Our tongues can steal life, our words can take life, can destroy life, but they can beautifully give life too. It's exactly how God intended us to use our tongues. Right, so, so Ephesians 4.29 says this, and I want to unpack this sentence for the rest of our time together. Paul writes, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Let me read that again. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs that it may benefit those who listen. I think Paul gives us three filters. Three filters for our words in that short verse. Three filters that you and I need to be living with day in and day out as we speak to others around us. Okay, those three filters. First of all, is what I'm about to say going to build others up? Is it going to build them up? Paul says, no unwholesome talk, only that which is helpful for building others up. Okay, so yes, sometimes we build people up through difficult words of correction. Sometimes we need to speak honest words that challenge people in love. Okay, so this isn't just to always be happy, always tell good things, but when we have honest, challenging things to tell somebody, are we doing it to build them up? Are we speaking those words to them and not to somebody else about them? And are we doing it for the purpose of building them up or tearing them down? Do we want to help them or harm them? That's a pretty significant filter. Is what I'm about to say going to build this person up? My guess is if we install just that filter, and we only spoke, or the only words that came out of our mouths are words that were there to build others up, that many of us would be talking a lot less. And we'd notice a lot of other people talking a lot less as well. That's filter number one. Filter number two. Ask ourselves if what we are about to say is what they need to hear. Paul wrote, right? No unwholesome talk, only that which is helpful for building others up according to their needs, he says. Speak to them according to their needs. Sometimes what we're about to say to somebody might be completely true. It might be fully honest. But it isn't something that they need to know. Maybe it isn't something they want to know. 
And maybe now is not the time for them to know it for their own good. Right? Do they need to know what I'm about to tell them? Often the most damaging words are those that are spoken unnecessarily, thoughtlessly, with no concern about the person who's listening. I think that's why James challenges us in his first chapter to be quick to listen and slow to speak so that we will have time to consider what others need to hear before we just speak whatever we want to speak. Okay? Filter number two is there. Number one, is it going to build them up? Filter number two, do they need to hear it? Filter number three, we need to ask ourselves if the words will benefit the person who's listening. A literal translation of the words that both Paul and James use here indicates an imparting of grace through our words. Am I imparting grace to this person through the words that I'm about to speak? As a result of my words, will, will they have a greater understanding of God, of his grace, of his peace, of his love? Will they feel more loved by me because I'm speaking this to them? Will they feel more loved by others? Will they feel more loved by God because of these words? If an imparting of grace is not going to be the result of your words, even your challenging and difficult words, and if that's not your intention with your words, then maybe it's better just to remain silent for the moment and not speak those words. There are so many words that we speak. So many words that we read. So many words that we hear. Do all those words really matter that much? Enough that, do they matter enough that honesty of all the values that you could pick to call a core value Really? Honesty? Words? They're just words, right? Do they matter that much? Historic theologian G.K. Chesterton was asked that question once. Right? He said, people often end a debate with a, with, with a phrase, we're only quarreling over words. We're only quarreling over words. He said, but words are worth quarreling over. What is the good of words, he said, if they aren't important enough to quarrel over. I think Jesus came to that same conclusion in Matthew 12. Listen to this phrase. This is Jesus. He said, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Let, let me read that again. Let that truth sink in. The mouth speaks, the words that come out of your mouth, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The words you speak matter because they're revealing what's on the inside of you. They are revealing your heart. Our words, honest or deceitful, filled with grace or spoken in judgment, loving or spiteful and ugly, building up or tearing down. They reveal our core. 
our heart, our spiritual maturity, our discipleship level. Hmm. What do your words reveal about your heart? You know, as followers of Jesus Christ, through the Holy Spirit, you and I have the privilege, the privilege of changing the culture around us by using different words than they do, by speaking differently than they do. Into, into the roar of anger and shouting and name-calling and lying that is so common in our culture and in our world, that's overwhelming our culture, that's filling your social media, that's causing tension between you and your, your family and your friends, into that roar, that ugly roar, we get to reveal a spiritual maturity inside of us through the words coming out of us. Through us, the world gets to hear truth spoken in love. Through us, the world gets to hear us pursuing facts and truth so that we can speak and post what is honest and true. Through us, the world gets to hear what it's like for people to speak respectfully to each other even when they disagree deeply. Through us, this world gets to hear words of blessing instead of cursing. Through us, the world gets to hear words that build people up instead of tearing them down. Because through us, the world gets to hear the very words of God as we, his disciples, speak for him. You know the phrase, you might be the only God that somebody sees. You might be the only God that somebody hears, the only words of God that they hear. And that's what we get to do. You and I get to speak for God. What a privilege, what an honor, and what a huge responsibility. The people listening to you who know you're a follower of Jesus Christ are listening to your words and hearing them as the words of God. They're reading the words you post and they're hearing them as the words of God, spoken by a child of God. huge responsibility. So perhaps starting right now, it'd be good for each of us, when we're about to speak, when we're about to type, when we're about to post, when we're about to send that email, maybe it's about time for us to start reciting the words of Psalm 1914 each time we open our mouths to speak. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh Lord. Let's pray for that. Father, may the words of my mouth, may the words I speak, 
May the words I type, may the email messages I send, may the notes I pass in school, may the social media posts I create and share, may they be pleasing in your sight, Lord. Help us to pay attention to our words so that we might learn more about our own hearts. Don't let us disconnect those two, Father. So often we like to think that that they aren't connected. There's other values so much higher than truth-telling and and the words I speak that prove my, my relationship with you, God, that prove that I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, and words don't matter that much. That's not what you say, Father. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So teach us how to listen well to our words and transform our hearts from the inside out so that as our hearts become more Christ-like, as we live with that that value of honesty, our words would present you to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.